Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. We believe that the Bible isn't just a dead book, but that when we open the Word of God, God Himself meets with us. So as we open God's Word this morning, will you pray with me? Living God, I thank you for this time that we have to gather around you through your Son, Jesus. I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would illumine our hearts and minds to receive these words for the transformation of our lives. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see you and your purpose for our lives clearly this morning. I pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. It's often the case that when we start something new, some some kind of new endeavor in our life, that there's an enthusiasm that comes with that. There's this uh, momentum that comes at the beginning. You're excited about something. You feel like there's purpose and significance in what you're about to do. And sometimes in our enthusiasm, we don't take the time to really uh, consider the cost of what this project is going to mean. We, we, we undertake this thing without fully understanding what it's going to take to see it through. John Stuart McCaig was a wealthy Scottish banker. He, he lived at the end of the 1800s and he had this dream to build something of significance. He wanted to make a monument for his family. Uh, and so he undertook to build a huge tower. He hired stonemasons and for five years they worked away in the city of Oban in Scotland. Unfortunately, after five years, McCaig died. And the monument still stands on this hilltop overlooking the village of Oban. And it's this unfinished tower. There's about two rows of the tower completed. It was going to be huge, but now it just sits there. And, and now it's known as McKaig's Folly. You see, he wanted to be part of something significant, but he didn't really count the cost. He didn't really think through what it would take to finish the project. As we've been journeying through Luke and Acts, we've been seeing Jesus inviting all kinds of people to be part of something significant. In Jesus, God's kingdom is at hand. God is taking the world back from sin and evil and darkness. His kingdom is breaking into the world to remake the world. And we're all invited to be part of the kingdom he is building. And the invitation we've been seeing has been going out to rich people and poor people alike, those whose lives are full of wonderful niceness and those whose lives are a complete mess. And the question that Jesus has been putting before us in this chapter has been this, are you in? And contrary to the logic of most salesmen and marketing firms and even church growth strategies, Jesus is very upfront about letting people know the hard implications of what it's going to mean to say yes to following him. He doesn't hide anything in the fine print. And now for the second time in Luke's gospel, Jesus discloses the terms of what it's going to mean to follow him. At the outset, Jesus knows that that good intentions and beginner's enthusiasm will not be enough to sustain his followers to come with him on his road. And he wants us this morning to consider the cost. 
Look in verse 25. Notice, large crowds have gathered to Jesus. And Luke absolutely loves making a point that when all these large crowds have gathered to Jesus, Jesus is probably about to say something that's going to scare them all off. And that's exactly what he does this morning. At the exact point when you think, okay, Jesus, now's the time to close the sale. Now's the time to get them to sign the contract. Who cares about the fine print? You know, they'll find that out later. Just get them on board. But he's not using usual sales techniques or church growth strategies. He's not hard selling people. He's not trying to make the Christian life sound as attractive as possible. He discloses the cost right up front. And many of us this morning, as we heard that text read to us about the cost of following Jesus, we might be wondering, is following Jesus really as alarming as Jesus makes it out to be? And so this morning, we're going to consider that cost, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to clarify the cost of what Jesus says. What is Jesus really saying? Look at verse 26. And in this verse, we get one of the most puzzling things that Jesus says in all of Scripture. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What's going on here? Jesus is not using the word hate as we use it. He's not saying that you need to feel this strong emotional hostility for the people that are closest to you in your life and to treat them as your enemies. That would conflict with what the Bible says about love. It would conflict with what Jesus says about love and even loving your enemies. See, what's going on here is Jesus is using a figure of speech. It's a way of saying in very vivid terms that to follow Jesus means that he comes first. He comes before. He comes in front of all your closest family relationships. He even comes in front of your own life. But it's even stronger than that. He's not just describing an arrangement where he is first and everyone else is a close second. The force of the expression, the imagery that he's using, is saying that for a disciple of Jesus, compared to your love for Jesus, all the other loves in your life actually look more like hate. He's not just saying that Jesus needs to come first, but that Jesus needs to come first by a long way. It's not even close. He isn't first among among equals. He's first and he's in a completely different category all on his own. You see, a true disciple of Jesus undergoes this radical change in their loyalties that that replaces all other loyalties that we have in our life. And he's saying that if you're going to follow me, your loyalty isn't given to your kin. It's given to me and to my kingdom. That's what he's saying. He continues in verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And Jesus' hearers would know what this means. They were an occupied people. They had been conquered by the Romans and they were living under the boot of a foreign empire. Rome was successful in their conquest of the Mediterranean world because they crushed any opposition with swift brutality. Most people at some point in their lives had seen the somber procession of a condemned criminal carrying a large 
wooden cross, which very soon would be used as the instrument of their death. And when you saw that person in that procession, you knew that they were on a one-way journey from which there was no turning back. See, taking up your cross means following Jesus on a one-way journey. There's no turning back. And it's a journey that may very well cost you your life. It means being ready to endure whatever the world or, or the evil one will throw at you because of your allegiance to Christ. And as soon as you give your allegiance to Christ, you're set in the crosshairs because the world has rejected Christ and the evil one is the enemy set against Christ in his kingdom. Very practically for us in our lives, carrying the cross means self-denial. It doesn't mean self-deprecation. It doesn't mean thinking you're a worm or you're slime, but it does mean self-denial because there are all kinds of ways that I can live my life that are totally acceptable to the world, but that go against my loyalty to Jesus. And, And my cross, each person has a cross. My cross is the particular shape that my obedience needs to take in light of who I am, in light of my life story, in light of my circumstances, in light of where I live. This cross is different for everyone. There's the objective cross of Christ, which has atoned for our sin, but then there's the subjective cross for each one of us. It's different for a single person than it is for a married person. It's different for people who struggle with mental health. It's different for an introvert than it is for an extrovert. It's different for each age and stage. It's different from people of other cultures and who live in other places of the world. But the cross is there for every disciple of Jesus to carry. It's part of the cost of following. And Jesus impresses upon us the importance of considering the cost in these two parables that he tells. He he tells one parable about a man building a tower and one parable about a king considering going to war. And in both cases, unless you consider carefully before you undertake the project, uh, if you don't consider carefully, you can wind up with disastrous consequences. In the case of building a tower, if you start building this tower and you don't finish it, you're going to be ridiculed, kind of like John Stuart McCaig and McCaig's folly. And if you wage a war that you can't win, and in the parable he talks about, you need to consider if you can beat an army of 20,000 with an army of 10,000. Basically, is one of your soldiers worth two of theirs? You've got to consider that. Because if you can't win, you need to do something. You need to send a delegation. You need to make peace or else you're going to be defeated utterly. You see, good intentions and enthusiasm don't get you far on the road with Jesus. He he doesn't want our lives to end in ridicule. He doesn't want our lives to end in defeat because we've started something that, that we're not actually committed to finishing. Jesus says very clearly three times in verses 26, 27, and 33, that unless this happens, you cannot be my disciple. Word for word repeated. A person cannot be my disciple unless I am first in their relationships. A person cannot be my disciple unless they carry their cross. A person cannot be my disciple unless they give up everything for me. Everything. 
Now, in some cases, people do give up everything. Some people lose their lives. In other cases, uh, we don't lose our lives or, or we don't have to give up everything, but we have to be willing to do so. If Jesus isn't first, if he's not above everything, we cannot be his disciple. Now, at this point, as we've been considering God's word, as one who's handling the word and bringing it to you, I want to be clear. My task this morning is actually to let us feel the weight of what Jesus is saying. My job isn't to take away the inner pressure that you might feel by finding, you know, some interpretive way of dulling the edge of what Jesus is saying. I think too highly of Jesus to do that, and I think too highly of you to do that. We actually need Jesus to address us with his sharp words. And Jesus, let me be clear, wants his words to disturb us a little and wake us up. You see, sometimes the monotony of life has a way of lulling us into drowsiness. We need a splash of cold water to wake us up. And that's what Jesus is doing this morning. And just so you know, friends, uh, if you've been a Christian a long time, don't run away from this address that Jesus is bringing to us. Don't run away from the feeling of feeling a bit disturbed on the inside of what Jesus is saying. Even the great evangelist and preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, after decades in ministry and of serving Christ and being a follower of Jesus, he said this about this particular teaching of Jesus. He said, I can never read these words without trembling and wondering whether I am a disciple. You see, we stand together this morning, and I'm included in this. We stand before Christ, and, and we need to let him as our Lord address us with his claim and to lead us to consider the cost of following. So that's the cost. He comes first, and he comes first by a long way. That's what he's saying. And my hunch is this morning that many of us need encouragement. Maybe you're on the edge of giving your life to Jesus, and these words this morning are making you think twice about that decision. That's good. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're well aware of what it's cost you to follow him. Uh, some of us in our church community have literally given up everything. You've left home. You've left your country. You've left good jobs because of your faith in Christ. But maybe we're growing weary. Maybe you're growing weary. At this point, I want to shift to consider how we can take on the cost. I mean, the cost is high. Right? We're feeling that this morning. So how can we take on that cost and persevere in the journey? And I want to suggest three things to us this morning. The first thing that we need to know in order to take on the cost of following Jesus is we need to know the worth of Christ. You see, a cost is worth taking on so long that you are convinced that what you're getting is of value. And in the case of following Jesus, what you're getting is of supreme value. You get Christ himself. You get the Son of God and through him access into the love of God the Father and the gift of God's life 
animating spirit. You, you get access into the feast of the kingdom at the end of time. And right now, as we live in the already but not yet aspect of the kingdom that is here, but that is not yet fully here, we get the peace of God. We get joy. We get freedom. We get forgiveness for all of our sin and all of our blunders. We get to start each new day afresh as we stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we let his good news define and transform our lives. I don't think you can put a price on that. You can't put a price tag on on being in on the love and favor of the Lord of the universe. The apostle Paul knew the cost of following Jesus and he paid a high price, but even more, he knew the worth of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6, 9, as he and his band of disciples of Jesus were were, uh, traveling around preaching the word, uh, this is what he says as they were enduring the opposition that came to them and the cost that came to them. He says that they endured through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report. They were being genuine, yet they were regarded as imposters. They were known, but People treated them as unknown. They were dying and yet living on. They were beaten and yet not killed. They were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. They were poor, yet making many rich, having nothing. And get this, and yet possessing everything. Having nothing and yet possessing everything. You see, that's the worth of Christ. That you can have absolutely nothing in this world yet. If you have Christ, then you have everything. Maybe you're having a hard time justifying the cost of following Jesus because you don't know the worth. You don't know the worth of Christ. You haven't encountered him for yourself. You cannot take on the cost of following Jesus on somebody else's word. You can't do it on your parents' word, on the word of your spouse, or even on my word here to you this morning. You need to know Christ for yourself. You need to encounter him. You need to let him show you what his supreme value is. And maybe this morning you just need to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, show yourself to me. I, I I'm on the edge of giving my life to you. I'm wondering if the cost is worth it. Show me your supreme value. Show me the value of knowing you. See, to take on the cost of following Jesus, you have to know the worth of Christ. And secondly, closely related to this, you need to know the cost he paid. You need to know the cost he paid. Another reason that that we should say yes to Jesus and that we can persevere in following is that he took the ultimate cost on himself. He's not like a leader who sits in a comfy armchair ordering people to give their lives on the front line of the battle. He's the leader who went into the battle ahead of us and he gave his own life to settle the war. You see, he doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, before we get too hung up on what it's going to cost us to follow Christ, we need to consider what it cost him to save us. 
He left heaven. He left his high position and took on the lowest position, becoming poor and even dying an accursed death on the cross uh, to rescue us from death and to give us life. In order to take on the cost of following Jesus, we do well to, to know what it cost him to bring us into life. Thirdly, you need to know his resources. He has everything you need to cover the cost. You see, in life, whenever you take on a cost of significance, uh, whether it's buying a house or buying a car or even renting an apartment, you have to come at that endeavor from a position of strength, right? You, You save up a down payment. You need to show the bank or the landlord proof of your employment so so that they know you're going to be able to pay. You save up your resources and then you can take the plunge. You see, the cost of following Jesus is different. This is not an endeavor we come at from a place of our own strength and trust in our own resources. Our power and enthusiasm cannot go the distance. The salt will lose its saltiness we take on this cost from a position of weakness, of knowing that in ourselves, we're not able. Our sin is too great and our hearts are too wayward. Our wills aren't strong enough. Our resolutions are too fickle. The resources we need to follow Jesus and take on this cost can't be found in us. And if you've been feeling your own weakness this morning and your own inability, maybe like G. Campbell Morgan, you know, wondering, am I really a disciple? Maybe you tremble as as I have trembled this week and as I do right now, as I consider these words of Jesus and let him say them to me. If that's you, it's okay. If anything, your weakness is putting you in the right spot to follow and trust in Christ. You see, anyone who hears Jesus' teaching and the cost of following him and thinks, yeah, I've got this, that person isn't reckoning on the absolute height of the cost. That person isn't reckoning on their own sinfulness and fickleness. They're not being realistic. They're deluded. Following Jesus isn't about saving up your own spiritual resources, but about having Christ himself as your source. It's putting confidence in him, not in yourself. And too often, Christians put confidence in their self. They put confidence in their morals. They put confidence in in their image and how they present themselves. And that's a one-way one way road to religious pride, to moralism and judgmentalism and joylessness. I mean, it's one of the most characteristic marks of counterfeit Christianity. Following Jesus costs us. But we take on that cost from a position of weakness, trusting in him as our source and as the provider of everything that we're going to need for the journey. He doesn't want our lives to end in ridicule and defeat because we've started something that we can't finish. And here's the good news. He is committed to finishing what he started in us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us run 
with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the pioneer. That means he's the beginner. He started this whole thing. He started this thing in your life long before you were even aware of him, drawing you to himself, and he's going to finish it. He's the perfecter. He's the ender. He's going to see it through to the end. You see, in the end, this is not about the faith that you are trying to build into your life. This is about the kingdom that God is building. It's about the kingdom that God is building in the world and in your life. And he's not going to leave us half finished. He's not going to let us be ridiculed. He's not going to let us end up in defeat, even though we might end there if we just go it alone on our own strength and trying to undertake this ourselves. But if he is going to complete this thing, He's going to finish this work of building something of ultimate significance and value in your life, of bringing you into the kingdom, and of wholeheartedly following Jesus. We do need to give over the deed to our lives. We do need to give him first place in all things. That's the cost. It's it's at the same time the, the easiest thing because you're giving yourself to the Lord of all love, the one who's shown you such grace and mercy, but it's also the hardest thing because it means that our loyalty to him replaces all of our other loyalties and we have to pick up the cross and follow him. And that's costly in a world that has rejected him. So this morning, as you consider the cost of following Jesus, remember the supreme value of Christ, remember his grace and what it cost him to bring you into life and remember remember his abundant power towards those who believe. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we consider the cost of following Jesus this morning, would you come upon us? Would you reveal Christ to us in his supreme worth? Would you show us how he has paid our cost? Would you convict us of of the sin that maybe we've been holding on to? And would you show us the grace of Jesus that has allowed our sin to be forgiven? Would you show us his sufficiency and empower us to live for him? We pray this in the name of Jesus and through him. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.